Little sighted toddlers see their parents tapping the screen on their phones and they see how a phone call is being made. Our little kiddos, they need to hear voiceover and how that sounds when somebody's interacting with their phone. Those are the types of incidental learning experiences that most of our kids, I think, miss. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. Before COVID-19 was in the United States, I had invited Dr. Ting Su to tell us about her new book from APH titled Access Technology for Blind and Low Vision Accessibility. So as the current superintendent of TSBVI, we're all sorting out how we're going to provide education to kids that are all over the state of Texas and support teachers throughout the country and even internationally as well. And having people like Ting out there that have got some of this figured out has been a huge support. When I first moved here for my PhD and I started the program and I think I went about three months just as a full-time doc student and I was completely miserable and an opportunity came up to do some um, contract TV I work in the Bay Area and I jumped on it and I felt like I was whole again. (laughs) So um, since then, um, I've always kept a small caseload. Um, it, it just means everything to me to still work as a TBI and still connect with students. I've heard people criticize universities at times and they're like, oh, they don't really know what it's like out there. And um, <laughs> which may or may not be true in some cases, but to actually be still practicing in the field, I, I bet that's really awesome for your students. You know, it helps bring real world perspectives into uh, the teacher training program and classes. Um, but I think most importantly, because uh, I, I work in the area of technology. Uh, just the nature of classrooms and um, educational media have changed so much in the last couple of years that there's no way I would have been able to keep on top of it or even understand the needs of the field without being an active TBI. Um, I mean, I just I think back to what I was doing as a TBI just five years ago, and it's it's totally different. I feel like you're modernizing current practices for TVIs, but your new book is out from APH, which is called Access Technology for Blind and Low Vision Accessibility. I believe it's a reboot of an older book that was last published about 10 years ago or so. Why was this project a priority for you? We all know that technology changes really quickly. It was such a priority to do the reboot because the tools for how students can access and also engage with information in the classroom, but also in the world has changed drastically and very significantly. Back in 2008, it was truly assistive technology. It was truly specialized technology that was built to, you know, quote unquote, help blind and low vision people engage with their work. It was also very situated in students. And so with the new edition, it's a little bit broader. Uh, We moved away from just K-12 context to just individuals in general. So whether that student is school age or it's an adult student who's needing to learn new tools and skills, that was one of the big shifts. But also another shift in doing this update was, I guess, reframing what access to information means for people who are blind or have low vision. So um, it was really important to me to move the philosophy from sighted helpers 
to empowering blind and low vision individuals to determine their own access. As far as TVI practices are concerned, our responsibilities are still the same in supporting students' access to education, ensuring that you know any gaps in learning and development due to visual impairment are filled in. But the tools and a little bit of the nature of how we work has updated significantly because technology has just changed the nature of work and the nature of information. You used to have a specialized device for all of our students that wanted to, you know, have a screen reader or a refreshable Braille device or any of those things. But now we're seeing more mainstream tech that's born accessible, like all the Apple devices you can buy off the shelf. It seems like access to technology has also become more achievable for everybody in just in that way. Do you think that's probably true? It's certainly become more achievable for blind and low vision students, but there are still lots of equity gaps in access just due to economics. But another gap that is now present is what does equitable access to information mean? So yes, blind and low vision people might have better access to the technology, but if the actual media are not accessible, there's still a huge gap in access there. Another big addition to this book is there's a whole chapter on multimedia accessibility. In the 2008 edition, there was a chapter meant for alternate media production and how do I produce alternate formats and alternate media. In this book, we still cover that, but it is broadened to include digital multimedia. So how do I access images and videos? How do I access data? Uh, What is sonification? But it also includes how can blind people design and produce accessible media for themselves. And just talking a little bit more about how we can empower blind and low vision individuals to be creators and designers and innovators and leaders in their own communities. Do you think this book applies to all populations served by TVIs, like the whole spectrum of our kids? do. Anybody who is involved with producing alternate media or needing to support alternate access for anyone could find a lot of applicable content in this book. This book is basically the baseline of what you need to know for blind and low vision access. And then for students with additional disabilities who might need some additional alternative supports and access points, there is another layer of consideration there that is not addressed in the book. So this book is really just a starting point for understanding the basics and the foundation uh, for low vision and non-visual accessibility. I've seen you do presentations at conferences that where you have talked about technology and students with multiple disabilities and visual impairment. Do you have any resources online or anything that you offer for that population? I would say that a lot of the training videos out there are really more related to how do I format and disseminate accessible digital media with the understanding of how to make those media accessible, teachers can actually trust in their own training on how to support kids with visual impairments and additional disabilities because the access to accessible media is a huge barrier in most cases. But once you've got accessible media, you could easily set up a switch to a device to turn the page on a book or set up a switch that will you know, um, activate the text-to-speech to read aloud text. Those extra considerations for tools that teachers already know about and teachers have already been using for a long time. It's just now there are better bridges to access Media. Probably a couple years ago, I was introduced, of course, by Bruce McClanahan to the concept about using mm-hmm. switches with voiceover. Yeah. I didn't even know that was a capability. And so I still bring it up to this day on occasion. And a lot of people don't think about that, that you can get 
a switch device that pairs with an iPad. And so a child can access voiceover with switches, which is really cool. Speaking of Bruce McClanahan, one of the best professional development trainings I attended last year was at the Getting in Touch with Literacy Conference. And it was in Bruce McClanahan's session where he actually went into depth about various workflows and tools and strategies to support kids with visual impairments and additional disabilities. I believe those presentation materials are on the WSSB website. He's always been really good at sharing his materials. He's not too protective of anything. So if we find it, we'll put it in the link on this podcast. Due to coronavirus, you know, we've obviously entered a time when online instruction and access means more than it probably ever has. And it's funny because I had mentioned that I felt like you were probably one person 100% prepared for this transition. Our classes have been on Zoom for years now. There's been no interruption in our classes at all. How are you supporting other people finding themselves not really sure what to do? It hasn't changed my personal work uh, whatsoever. Because I've been doing this for a while and because I've also been doing trainings and workshops on digital multimedia accessibility for a while, there's actually a lot of resources and training materials that are already available. I've just been trying to post information about that. And I, I know people are on information overload And I'm trying to also be aware of that. But for anybody who is looking for materials, uh, there's a lot already out there. So some of the go-to places where I've been posting materials is my own YouTube channel. I decided to make a couple little quickie videos for other faculty on how to set up a learning management system. How do you begin teaching on Zoom? How do you do small group activities on Zoom? So those are all on my YouTube channel. And in the VI program at San Francisco State, I actually teach two classes in the fall semester where a couple of the class projects require the students to make demo and training videos. And so the student videos are uh, are posted on the Facebook page, and those videos cover, you know, uh, demos of digital workflows. So how do I convert things from paper to digital, accessible digital format? They've also posted describe videos on Udescribe, and they've also done videos that evaluate the accessibility of mainstream apps. So those are really great little videos, and there's um, actually a, a nice pile of them across the years. It sounds like you're still serving students as a TVI as well. So will you be providing some distance instruction to them too? Yeah, I've reached out to my parents, and they know I'm here. I've offered to do online video sessions with the students and parents if they want some more support. You know, I have to say I have not heard back from parents wanting to schedule that. I think my plan is to just send a weekly short little memo just to check in and ask how they're doing, let them know that I'm here. But I really don't want to inundate parents with this because I feel like they're already under a lot of pressure to basically develop and implement a homeschool program. So I think what I'm going to do is in my little memos with parents, I'm just going to provide ideas for aligning the student's skills and what we're working on with home activities. You know, for example, if the family is doing cooking or making a meal at home, how might the student be involved in like following a recipe or checking the recipe and kind of embedding those literacy and numeracy skills and access technology within activities that are already happening in the home. I just want to keep the pressure off of parents as much as possible and make it very meaningful for the home environment. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about that too. And um, we're emphasizing reaching out to families and finding out, you know, what kind of low tech or high tech instructional support do you want, you know, starting with them Mm -hmm. instead of just 
throwing a bunch of stuff their way and hoping it's something that's helpful. I think there's yeah. just a lot of stress in households right now, and we don't want to add to it. We just want to help if we can. Exactly. What do you think are some of the barriers to being in an online environment? Any suggestions to overcome those if you have any ideas? The biggest barriers, the one that's always been true, uh, you, even before the virus situation, is that understanding of digital accessibility. So now that everything's moved online, it's become even more important and more critical that online and digital media are accessible. This hasn't changed before and after the virus. You know, federal laws have always required equitable access to information and education. And so now I think when media are not accessible, we're going to feel the pinch a lot more. For more information about topics brought up in this episode, please check out Ting's Twitter handle at TVI underscore Ting, TVI underscore T-I-N-G. For links to Ting's books, YouTube channel, and Bruce McClanahan's media resources referenced in the interview, you can find these links in the episode description or at the end of this episode's transcript. The students we serve in local districts are often slower to be given access to technology. So I think we're Mm going to have a lot of kids that their peers have, you know, computers and know how to use them and and have been working in a in a tech mode for a long time. And our students have still been with Braille writers and they're behind the curve instead of at the same pace as their peers. So that I think that's going to be a challenge right now. Absolutely. One big realization that TVIs in particular need to understand is that we really need to think about the extended learning curve for technology for our students. In my book, I propose a three-year learning curve where our students actually need to have incidental opportunities to hear how information is going to sound or to feel how, you know, braille dots are going to feel on a braille display. And they need those incidental opportunities way earlier than they need it for schoolwork. So, you know, they need to be honing those auditory and tactile and low vision skills way earlier. They need to start playing with things and getting comfortable with how information can be represented in different ways. And then, you know, I would say, you know, year one is just play. Year two is experiment with tasks. And year three is when kids can really be expected to be proficient in using technology for work. And so, you know, for any students who have not had that early access technology, they are really set back significantly. It makes sense that the earlier they have access to those experiences, the more successful they'll be down the road. It's not even a matter of making sure the tech is in their hands, but making sure that they're around it. For example, little sighted toddlers see their parents tapping the screen on their phones and they see how a phone call is being made. Our little kiddos, they need to hear voiceover and how that sounds when somebody's interacting with their phone. And those are the types of incidental learning experiences that most of our kids, I think, miss. That's a great point and reminds me of many conversations I've had with administrators when you're advocating for a younger student to get a refresher braille display. They're expensive, so it's hard to make that sell when they don't see a child already ready to use it. But if you don't provide it in their environment, that makes it a challenge, I think, later on. Yeah, and I mean, with mainstream tech being more accessible. It's pretty cheap now. I mean, you can you can set up a kid with an iPod that costs, you know, what, $100? And then you can get a Braille display from APH on quota. Yeah. So you don't necessarily need to even invest in that, you know, Cadillac of a note taker from the get-go, but you can scale up to it, I think. Yeah, that's a great point. How do you see instruction 
changing when this social isolation time period passes. Say that we don't go back to school until August, which is what, you know, some best case scenarios are predicting. What do you think will change for our students in the years ahead? My hope is that despite this challenging time, possibly one of the positive outcomes can be there's more awareness around equitable access to information and technology and as a result, education. I know there's a lot of action from NSB in the last couple of days about ensuring that people are aware of IDEA and what equity means in terms of access to information and education. I hope that when teachers are struggling with the materials that classroom teachers are sending home, whether it's a print document or it's an inaccessible PDF, TVIs can first learn how to make digital multimedia accessible. I also think they can create opportunities to consider the role of an alternate media specialist in this school district. And this is a really important function um, that's missing in K-12 education because, you know, having good accessible alternate media is make it or break it for our kids learning. Oftentimes, without having an alternate media specialist in a school, that labor falls on a TVI who is already so overloaded. And really, you don't need TVI training to do alt media. That's a I'm hoping that that will create a need for that type of support in schools. If somebody was to ask you, you know, what would be some priority items in a job description for an alt media specialist, what would you say some of those things are? Understanding digital formats for text, image, and video accessibility. That's a very common position in higher ed, including community colleges, state universities. So those position announcements are already there. But I would definitely want to emphasize, in addition to understanding digital formats, that kids do still need access to high-quality tactile graphics and tactile materials. We still need Braille transcribers. We still need high-quality hard copy Braille. We still need tactile graphics. But alt media specialists can help with that and fill in for all the other things. There's been some concern. In fact, I was on a web call about it today about the protections under IDEA going away as sort of a relief package for districts during this time. Do you think there's a real risk in that? Oh, yeah, there is a risk because once you give people a free pass to say it's okay to exclude a population, it's really hard to take that back. One thing I saw said that they would give forgivenesses for up to a year and could extend, and it just feels like it's opening a door that would be really hard to close. Absolutely. Where can folks find your new book and what other resources would you recommend for teachers jumping into remote instruction, maybe for the first time? I find the APH website to be a little bit tricky sometimes and being able to find what you're looking for. So I have been most successful just doing a Google search and typing in APH and access technology. It's usually one of the first things that come up. And the book comes in both print format and EPUB format, an accessible EPUB format. People can look for either of those. For recommendations for teachers jumping into remote instruction, I guess my basic recommendations are to be brave, be creative, and just trust yourself because good teaching is good teaching and it doesn't matter with or without technology, it's, it comes back to good teaching. You know, I know a lot of teachers are feeling the pressure to help parents replicate that classroom and academic instruction in the home. And I think it's okay to just, you know, give people a break, but also 
honor the home environment and honor all of the learning opportunities that are available in the home. Instead of trying to recreate the square in a circle shape, yeah. <laughs> um, or whatever that thing is. Square um, peg in a round hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Instead of doing that, kind of just be okay, starting with a clean slate and seeing the home as a different type of classroom. I think just, you know, do your best. I think that's pretty good advice and probably something everybody needs to hear right now is just take a breath and don't set the bar too high. I'm sure over time, everybody's going to get better at this. Make sure everybody's fed and needs are met and spirits and emotions are taken care of and then work on the other stuff. While we are all working under these unusual and stressful circumstances, you may find you need more online resources. TSBVI is here to help. Visit library.tsbvi.edu to access our extensive collection of past webinars and training videos created by our staff. And join us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning at 10 a.m. Central Time for our Coffee Hour with TSBVI. Learn about and discuss a variety of topics with TSBVI outreach team members and other professionals from around the country and globe. For more information, visit tsbvi.edu slash coffee hour. Ting obviously has extensive knowledge regarding technology for students who are blind or visually impaired, which is why I was a little thrown when I asked how she's supporting students during this pandemic, and she spoke to their social, emotional well-being first. Ting is obviously the kind of teacher we all need right now. She has the skills to make education happen in any setting and the heart to support her students' most basic needs first. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.